Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is the latest in our weekly update series from the LPRC. I'm joined by my colleagues, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan and our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And uh, we're going to quickly take you around the world at specific issues. Uh, of course, uh, during the pandemic, I kind of start off, as everybody knows, and I've been hearing some good feedback from people. And I really appreciate that on the on this podcast and the updates you get on this weekly uh, series. Uh, but Israel uh, has, has been putting on some interesting war games there. They obviously are very good at that, preparing themselves typically, though, for um, terrorism and combat. And in this case, looking at uh, uh, what's going to be like if and when there are new, more uh, aggressive and more dangerous uh, mutations or COVID-19 strains uh, or some other mystery virus. Um, so we'll stand by and put out what we learned from their war games and what their suggestions are. Uh, meanwhile, we saw uh, waves because of the Delta variant and Delta Plus and its ability to sped, spread much more rapidly, just much more transmissible than earlier uh, variations um, that it spread through sort of the southern states or other places that had reduced some of their precautions like masking and distancing uh, and heavy vaccination um, to now shift up to places where they're have been more controls uh, in the in places like Denver, Colorado, uh, California, uh, Seattle, and so on, Portland, uh, and then up into the Northeast, and particularly areas that are a little more uh, heavily vaccinated, and, and there's much more masking uh, going on to protect, again, the spread of the viral particles. Um, and so, again, this Delta variant is just uh, incredible. It's almost unknowable now. Um, uh, what the differences could be, but these spikes are there and over in Germany. Uh, they're buckling down. I mean, they're uh, evidently they're reporting uh, their emergency medicine and intensive care, critical care units are, are overwhelmed and saturated. Um, they're even trying to stop any type of immigration or cross-border travel um, in a desperate attempt to reduce the waves, the new waves of the coronavirus. And here we are almost two years on, it seems like. And um, it, we can see what happens with something like this and in the United States over still well over half a million um, Americans dying. And I'm sure each of us that are listening today, uh, seeing the news or know somebody uh, and in law enforcement has been incredibly and in, in firefighting uh, heavily hit uh, by the coronavirus um, uh, as far as fatalities and, and so on. So um, it's for real. It's for real for a very small percentage, but it's, uh, we know some reasons we've talked about over and over on here, and you all have heard elsewhere why. Some people, it's just very severe, severe, but there are others that it's very perplexing. They get very serious disease and even die from COVID-19. So you don't want to get it if you can help it, uh, or if you get it, you want to 
have a, a very less severe case. Um, and again, that's where vaccination comes in, as we all know. Um, there's a lot of studies, as we've talked about, on does do you get immunity uh, from prior infections? Yes, it looks like there's certainly some to a lot. It's very unclear because each human is so different. And this is, again, what we talk about in criminology, how you, know, you can devise the best countermeasure and put it inside a store or in a parking lot or whatever, and it just doesn't work, but for some people, uh, very well. It just doesn't work well. Um, and so we always have that differential response we talk about in crime prevention to whatever we do. That's why we do combinations and we continue to update and change things around. And the same thing we can see with this virus, you know, the virus is so different and uh, the infection rates vary and wane and wax so much, uh, but individuals and individuals, even themselves, our vulnerability, our lower immune, just like a, a, a specific store or location, it goes up and down. If a good store manager, a really good store manager has a great team, they've got the tools, it's humming, they have to go home at night or sometime. They go on vacation or get sick themselves. And so we can see the vulnerability of a place change dramatically, an individual much less between our stores or places. And then we have the same thing with humans. So always be thinking that there's this is so similar and we can learn from each other on what's going on, but that's always sort of the the madness of, if you will, of uh, in public health, uh, in personal health, and then of course even in crime prevention because it's an individual place, it's a group of places around each other, and then it's across your enterprise. Um, so we're seeing that the reinfection is difficult to understand because of the differences in humans and in individual human responses. You just don't know if one of us are exposed to this virus, how we're going to respond at that time, partly driven by have we been exposed to it before through natural infection, or have we had the vaccine that, that uh, activates our immune system to more rapidly and accurately recognize that particular virus. Uh, and again, the virus itself is evolving because there's so many inf infected people. If you reduce the amount of infection, you reduce the amount of, as we all know, mutations going on to more dangerous and more transmissible versions. So, um, but because the immune response that we have is pretty sophisticated, we've talked about this also, you know, antibodies, uh, and then there's cellular activity, the T and B cells and so on that we, that we learn about and hear about uh, in the news. So they're, they're not sure, does natural immunity, what protection, well, that depends. Depends on what you're exposed to, how much of an inoculum or how much you onboarded, we onboard. Uh, and then again, how our immune response decides to activate at that time. And that's what's driven by it. And that's why the vaccination helps e even things out to a certain extent, because it's now both they're finding antibody and cellular immunity is activated by these vaccines. Um, so it gives us a little more of a, a level playing field in that way. And that's what they're talking about. And you see really interesting articles about the CDC is moving from this group immunity or herd immunity or community immunity, which we talk about in criminology for a shopping center or a strip center. How can we work together to be more, to be stronger? But it's different if you've got a barnyard or if you've got a strip center for us to work in when we're talking about humans. Humans aren't a herd. Um, and if you've got a 30% um, vaccination rate in one city, but you know, one state over, you've got 70 or 80% vaccination rate and they're moving back and forth. It's not, you don't, 
have that containment. We're mobile humans, and again, we're also different. So it's a little difficult. So the CDC is recognizing that that there is uh, we're not a herd, um, and that uh, these places, all these places, are so connected uh, in modern days uh, across the globe, and that's why we saw this virus spreads so rapidly and continues to do so, including the individual variants like Delta variant is now everywhere in the entire world. So um, even on islands. So it's an incredible uh, learning lesson for us and a very dangerous and, and sad one that we're all going through here. But um, that's kind of what some of the things that we're looking at. And I, but I think the other thing to remember, and this is part of the, the herd or group immunity situation with CDC, they're recognizing that our scientists came up re-engineered existing vaccines to, for the COVID, rigorously tested them in the United States and all around the globe, heavy testing, the most in history of any, of any um, vaccine, uh, all of these vaccines. Um, but they are very good at reducing the likelihood that we'll have a serious or even fatal response to, the va- to this virus, um, the COVID-19 virus. But they're not especially good at blocking the transmission or, you know, helping us not become infected. And nor does our uh, those that have been naturally infected seem to have that. So this is a crazy virus for our bodies to deal with. Um, but it's just another reason from my readings that I'm seeing why the CDC is backing off on these, this great hope that we would have, you know, herd or group or community immunity uh, and get past this thing. We're almost two years on and it doesn't seem to be abating. Um, uh, our tolerance, our patience is going down, but uh, not necessarily the virus and the infection. So <clears throat> bear in mind that that's what vaccines do. They're not going to necessarily reduce the case rate. Well, cases are up and people will be anti-vaccine because of that. Well, look at the, the severity levels, hospitalizations or deaths from COVID. Those are the numbers that we all need to pay attention to. The, the case rates are up because we're not doing the things that block the viral particle transmission. It's moving the virus from each other, one to another. And again, when it gets cold, people go inside. And um, in Florida, when it gets hot, people go inside. So you see these levels go up when people are inside breathing the same air uh, over extended periods, uh, according to all the research that we've got that we're looking at. So on the vaccine front, um, you know, we're looking at these numbers, 170 other additional vaccine candidates, again, that are 51 in phase one, 47 candidates in two, 41 vaccine candidates in phase three, uh, 15 emergency use authorization around the world, including this Nova vaccine. So many have been waiting to see emerge out of the United States. It's a more of a protein-based vaccine. I'm not a microbiologist, but it's my understanding they transmit or they, they put into um, microscopic proteins, this uh, specific one, or particles, this specific protein that we're talking about. Um, It looks to be pretty highly effective. It's just a manufacturing issue. And I believe it might be Singapore Singapore has done an an EUA, emergency use authorization for that. Uh, But it's something that people are looking forward to. It's another way to provide a vaccine. It's an older, much older technology, much more demonstrated over time that might make some people more comfortable um, it also only have light refrigeration, so it's much easier to use um, in places that don't have uh, high-speed uh, freezers that we've all learned about before. Um, moving to the therapy front, we didn't prevent it. We've got it. Um, we've looked at this remdesivir that they've been using, um, but now they're starting to see resistance, new mutations by the virus to remdesivir, according to the research. Um, sort of scary stuff, right? We're seeing uh, the mutations continue. 
um, in different ways. And so in this case, something that was one of the only therapies in the entire world to finally, through scientific research, get some approval, may, may, and this is early days, that we'll have to see if this spreads, but they now have noted that uh, patients have had this mutation and that did not work. We talked about the good news, hopefully here on the front, this antidepressant that seems to have some good um, viral suppression capability as a therapy once you're infected, uh, a cheap, uh, quick, easy way to deal with COVID, hopefully. Uh, and then these two antiviral pills we're hearing about from Merck and from Pfizer that are still in testing, but the research uh, randomized controlled trials, placebo, double blind, look very promising to, again, stop the viral replication. Once it gets in our bodies, it goes from cell to cell. Uh, these are designed to disrupt and suppress that activity within us so that we can get uh, that our own immune systems can take care of what's in there uh, because it's not as much, it's not spreading, it's not turning into disaster. And again, we've heard so much serious disease and suffering and death come from over response by our immune systems and they get overwhelmed and so on. So we're, you know, it's exciting that uh, the possibility of some of these antiviral uh, and even uh, these therapies like this antidepressant drug. Um, all right, so that's kind of from the COVID front uh, on vaccine dynamics out there and uh, the therapies that seem to hopefully be coming online. Um, moving over to, uh, I know at the LPRC, we have our uh, Discord platform that our, our team stood up early in 2020. Um, FusionNet, LPRC FusionNet as a way to post um, intel, posters, things that they find online or hear from their local law enforcement or whoever, um, as well as voice channels to talk with each other before, during, or after whatever significant uh, severe weather or, you know, during the initial vaccine rollout or during the election, uh, but also these court cases and so on. So we've got that stood up uh, or it's always available, but we've got some retailers using the platform to talk about what's going on in this Kenosha trial um, with this uh, young man, Rittenhouse, uh, who was there. Um, and evidently there were some shootings, uh, two or three, uh, two individuals, I believe, killed um, and others wounded. Um, and so he's on trial in that case. So get, depending on what the uh, jury results are, uh, is there a possibility for violence in Kenosha or violence elsewhere? We've seen like a virus, these uh, violence uh, across the U.S. and even extended across the world in some cases. Um, so stay tuned on what goes on with the Rittenhouse case in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And if you're an LPRC member, you're invited uh, to get into uh, our uh, Fusion Net program. Just reach out to operations at lpresearch.org. Um, moving over to LPRC very quickly, uh, we had a, a, a nice, nice, nice turnout for NVIDIA's biannual GTC uh, or Global Technology Conference. Uh, a nice panel looking at the use of Everseen's uh, technology as computer vision AI, uh, looking at, of course, self-checkout for those aren't, that aren't familiar with it. Uh, in this case, in Kroger Company and the testing that went on there. Um, and so it was a neat case study. Um, we also now, it looks like um, on January 18th, uh, we'll be in New York, the same panel with a slightly different, uh, with some new data at the NRF Big Show at Big Ideas. Um, so stay tuned for that. January 18th, you'll see it coming out in LPRC Connect e-newsletter on social media, uh, as well as through NRF's marketing um, 
and some of the companies involved, like Everseen and Lenovo, um, Compass, and so forth, and, and Kroger Company. Kickoff uh, the next day in New York City, hosted at Bloomingdale's. Again, we mentioned this before uh, in their flagship store in Manhattan. But on January 19th, uh, we expect a, a pretty good crowd uh, for LPRC kickoff. Uh, stand by for the details on LPRC Ignite in Gainesville. Um, and then an upcoming SOC and Sensor Summit, uh, you know, Security Operations Center or Command Center, EOC, uh, is the topic there uh, as a summit. In Gainesville, dates uh, and agenda uh, to be determined and, uh, and released, uh, but we're really excited about it. Uh, we've been working with 13 uh, retail chains on their socks, um, or at least getting information from them and to them. Uh, so we expect that we'll probably go beyond that number of chains for a summit here in Gainesville, Florida, around socks. Um, very excited about it. Uh, a lot more details to come. And uh, stay tuned and ask us if you have any requests. And so again, lpresearch.org, lpresearch.org is our, e is our website with uh, operations at lpresearch.org. All right, with no further ado, let me turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio. And Tony, if you can take us around the world. Thank you, Reed, and uh, lots of good information. And I'm start actually with some excellent news that just came across the wire as we were recording this. U.S. retail sales in October for the third month uh, rose higher uh, boosted by merchant receipts uh, and higher prices and household demand remaining resilient. The value of overall purchases increased 1.7% in October, the most in seven months, following an upward revise of 0.8 in September, uh, which again, excluding gas and motor vehicle sales gained 1.4%. So really, really excellent news going into the holiday in terms of what's happening to retail sales. So strong, strong data coming out just a few minutes ago as we were preparing for this podcast. Let me switch to another topic that's been in the news and robots and what's happening with robots. With the labor shortages, interesting data from the Wall Street Journal on what's happening to robots. Robotic orders in North America are on track for the biggest year ever. Total ro robotic sales for first nine months of the year at 1.48 billion, topping a previous record of 1.47 in the same period in 2017. Sales rose one to 1.09 billion for the first nine months of the year. Uh, companies ordered nearly 30,000 robots in the first nine months of this year. And just in the third quarter, nearly 10,000 robots. And what's interesting, that used to be all automotive, now it's a lot more outside of automotive, 6,300 of those 10,000 in the third quarter were in non-automotive industries with metals being number one, which saw their year-on-year -year growth nearly triple. Behind metal was the food consumer goods industry at 40% and semiconductors and electronics and photonics, which grew 26%. So the robots are coming and this labor shortage, in my view, is gonna intensify it and the data is pointing that out. Also interesting this week is uh, from The Economist, uh, they actually listed 22 emerging technologies that are gonna be important in 2022, and I'm gonna rattle them off just to get a flavor in terms of what's coming. So here they are. Solar engineering, new generation heat pumps, hydrogen power uh, airplanes, direct air capture, vertical farming, 
container ships with sales, VR, virtual reality workouts, vaccines for HIV and malaria, 3D uh, bone implants, flying electric taxis, space tourism, delivery drones, quieter supersonic airplanes, 3D printed homes, sleep technology, personal life nutrition, wearable tech, health trackers, the metaverse, quantum computing, virtual influencers, brain interfaces, and more artificial meat and fish. It's an interesting list. Uh, some of these have been around for a while, but they're evolving to next generation. Interesting that Facebook just changed their name to Meta, and one of the key trends listed here was the metaverse. So I'm looking forward to see what's in the metaverse um, going forward. And let me conclude this week with some predictions from Forrester in terms of what they see happening in 2022. So they open up by saying that disruption has ensued since the dawn of the digital era, but it exploded in intensity and bread starting in 2020. So again, as I've been saying for a while, the pandemic has been accelerator of technology and innovation. So some of the trends that they talk about is what's happening in cloud and cloud evolution. Uh, you cannot, and the one other headline is you, you, you can't always get what you want, even when you're a 1.8 trillion hyperscaler. Back in 2019, Google aimed to become a top two cloud provider by 2023 or abandon the market altogether. But after years of serious investment, invest services and rollouts to, to try to catch up to Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure, Google's gonna fall short. The core cloud infrastructure is becoming interchangeable. So cloud service providers will battle over industry clouds. So specific verticals. The cloud achieved its original rapid adoption because it was generic commoditization, which means lower revenue for cloud services is coming in 2022 for specific industry vertical solutions. And finally, you're gonna hear a lot more about cloud nationalism with countries trying to control clouds, especially in the fight between US and China. In terms of artificial intelligence, uh, some of the headlines out of predictions from foresters, embedded AI is coming. They say, start peddling now. One in five organizations will double down on AI inside. You're also gonna hear a lot more about responsible AI. Don't overlook the small waves, the market for this responsible AI solutions is gonna double. And you're also gonna see creative AI. So don't be afraid to test new waters. Creative AI will win with lots and lots more patents coming. And finally, on automation, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic while it is winding down, has firmly changed the course for business uh, and industries. Among these, it forced the enterprise to adopt more sophisticated automation programs that have the ability to reshuffle priorities on a dime by using the latest analytics. And I truly agree with that statement. I think we are moving in a world where we're actually going to be making decisions uh, real time based on analytics and technology and AI and all the other things that we just talked about. Uh, the, the repercussions of the shift are profound, says Forrester, and they predict that process improvement, 
platforms will converge and be challenged by new AI entrants. Investments will come into the market to address global work shortages. I talked about some of them a few minutes ago, such as robots. And really, technology is going to continue to take a lead. 35% of service companies will introduce physical robot, robot workers. 5% of the Fortune 500 will adopt automation uh, extreme uh, uh, fabric innovation. And what that means is a framework to build, orchestrate, and govern a hybrid workforce of human and digital workers. So it'll be interesting to watch how companies manage both the robots and physical people as we evolve into 2022 into the new normal. So that's a little bit in terms of what's going on around the world. Let me turn it over to Tom. Well, thank you. Um, wanted to just briefly cover two things. One is uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial um, that's occurring right now. And again, not when we put, we do these podcasts, we do take them in advance, usually a week or two. So today is this November 16th at the time of the taping. So I'm not 100% sure, sure when you'll hear this, but with um, these politically and emotionally charged trials, there are a lot of uh, opportunities for civil disturbance. So today, uh, outside of Kenosha, we're, we're seeing some chatter. Kenosha specific has the National Guard on standby. There are about 500 troops uh, that will only be activated uh, with the request of law enforcement. That has a lot to do with um, uh, U.S. military working on domestic soil. So there are some rules there. Uh, they're in standby, ready, ready, and waiting, uh, ready. Excuse me, ready and waiting, uh, if needed. As well as uh, there are still some businesses still are boarded up uh, there, although some have opened. Um, you still have some boarded up. There, the businesses that are opened at this point are kind of uh, in waiting. There was a a barber shop that Fox News interviewed the owner of, and basically he said that uh, unless he has to, he's not going to board up, but. Some of the local businesses are trying to make do with what they can. Uh, there is chatter in all of the major markets that you would um, potentially see civil disturbance in. So right now, Denver, Portland, Seattle, Northern California, and the San Francisco and Oakland area, and actually the LA area as well. New York, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Houston, uh, are where are there are groups talking about potential civil disturbance. At this point, most of what I'm seeing is relatively um, you know, uh, calm and more talking about what if uh, this uh, this this trial has a non-guilty uh, where people will meet. There are some folks in the northern, the northwest market saying that they're going to um, do demonstrations regardless to just show um, their support to the public and um, a lot of more of talking about defunding law enforcement and um, which isn't really related to this, but they're in in some of those groups as well. Uh, the LPRC will most likely activate the fusion net, so stay tuned for information here as we did um, throughout the last couple, you know, really two years uh, to help deliver information. And we ask that if you have any information, share it with us. Uh, this is a very volatile situation, and based on everything I'm seeing, it looks like there'll be some level of demonstrations um, regardless of the outcome. Uh, weather does play a role, as we know, in civil disturbance, so as it gets a little cooler, um, there are groups that are talking about earlier in the day and staying, um, uh, keeping it daytime based on the weather. So we'll continue to keep the audience apprised of what we're seeing. Switching gears uh, to cybersecurity, um, 
And this one's an interesting right, um, one. Over the weekend, the FBI's email system was hacked. And I want to just preference that it wasn't their corporate email system. It was their law enforcement enterprise portal. And um, I, a lot of us who are listening to this are probably on it. That's where they disseminate information. So that was hacked. Um, and someone was able to get in and, and temporarily gain access to the portal's email system and sent out um, several thousand fake or misleading notifications. Um, so when we talk about risk and cyber risk and the brazenness of, of some of these hackers, you don't get much more brazen right than attacking the FBI's systems. Now we know this happens all the time. Um, there, there basically was the emails contained a fake warning um, to address the an ARN database. I mean, there was all sorts of fake ones. I'm not going to get into the technical details because it's probably not actually that um, that useful. But the email just basically was that our intelligence monitoring indicates extraordinary, um, and then it kind of went through and explained what it was. November 13th, I believe, and 14th, I'm, I'm not 100% sure if it was both days, it went out, and the FBI was able to um, take the infected hardware off of the network, and it was important that the FBI responded to the incident and says that there's an ongoing situation and that the impacted info was taken offline. Um, they, did, um, they didn't have any more information at the time, and basically... Um, there's no reason to believe that the FBI's corporate systems would um, be affected. It, you know, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different theories of who you know who who is behind this. Um, the, the Dark Overlord is one of the names that it, that comes up. So there are these groups that we talk about often on the the podcast here. But what's important to, to kind of talk through is that. Nobody is immune to this, and we, we consistently and constantly remind people to have good um, good habits when it comes to cybersecurity. And then I would just layer in the importance of that, you know, not only do you have to have good habits, but you have to be prepared to respond. I thought the FBI did a, a good job of creating a press release um, and, and giving information, and this is an ongoing investigation, and you can be sure that the FBI is going to really push to, to – identify this person for sure. Um, there is some chatter of, of, of person or persons who did it, but there'll be more to come on it. And we will definitely keep everyone updated here, especially being that um, you know, getting into one system potentially could lead someone to be getting into others. So there's a potential that this um, attack could be larger. That is speculative um, at this point. Right now, it does seem that it's contained in this network. It's important to note, though, um, at this time, we don't know what information was gained. So uh, were they able to just blast out an email? Do they have a list of all of the members of that? Do these uh, information bulletins in the future become less relevant because of this attack? So a lot more to come on it. Uh, that, that occurred, I think, on the 13th and the 14th. And again, we're taping on the 16th. So this is very, very fresh info. Um, short today, just, uh, just under seven minutes for me. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Reed and Tony. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for that. And Tom, for your insights. Um, you know, everything is uh, looking like it's turning to a certain extent. At least uh, humans were, seem to be adapting um, using science, using innovation um, in so many different ways. It's encouraging and exciting. Um, and I wanted, I want to extend to everybody again the invitation to talk with us, uh, talk with Melissa. 
at lpresearch.org or via operations at lpresearch.org um, about a virtual or even a physical visit to our labs. We just had a, a, a large contingent from the JCPenney asset protection team as they reconstitute and energize um, their efforts. Uh, we've got solution partners in every week, literally one or more organizations in here putting more of their technologies into our labs, integrating, um, innovating, using again our Safer Places lab, the entire square block here at the University of Florida's um, Innovation Square uh, complex. And um, we just want to make sure that everybody feels welcome, wants to learn more about it. We're, we're more than happy to set up virtual calls with you all, do show and tells, or again, uh, in-person visits. So, uh, but we also look forward to seeing you all up there in mid-January, if at all possible in New York City. Uh, or again, we've got a series of events that we'll be having here in Gainesville, Florida. So um, signing off and on behalf of Tony D'Onofrio, Tom Meehan, and Diego Rodriguez and the entire LPRC team, I want to thank you and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 